Acts chapter 27, verse 1 says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. So right away, uh, when we get into this passage in Acts 27, it says, And when it was decided. If you ever are wanting to really engage the Bible, one of the things I'd really encourage you to do is ask questions of what you're reading. And here's the other thing that's going to be really important in today's time together in Acts 27 and 28 is enter into the story. I don't know how many of you guys have ever heard of a book, but there's a real famous book uh, titled Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. So when you get starting to be taught how to read beyond just word recognition, but you're beginning to read little stories, good reading teachers will tell you, enter into the story. And good storytellers have very good character development and scene development that you begin to feel and experience. If you want to read the Bible aright, you've got to get into the skin of those who are in these situations that really happened and you need to ask questions of the text. So one of the first things I asked when I saw Acts 27, 1 was, and when it was decided, I thought, well, decided by whom? And it's clearly what the context is, is it was decided by the Roman leaders that they would send a ship full of prisoners that they had to Italy. But there ends up being on a larger ship later in this, 276 people, which included the sailors, it included Roman soldiers, Roman centurions, and then prisoners of which Paul was one. And seemingly the author of this, uh, Luke, because he says we here, that we got on this ship. So it was determined by Roman leaders, but it was also determined in some way by Paul. And here's what I mean by this. Paul, just before this in the book of Acts, has determined that he was going to continue to proclaim this message of Jesus, come what may, to him. But he was very human all the time because there's a point where he's going to have to go back to Jerusalem and the Jews hate Paul, who, by the way, if you don't remember, was a Jew of all Jews, he was killing Christians, and then Jesus encountered him. Then he kind of switched teams and began to preach Christ, and the Jews hated him. They hated him. They hated his message. Paul knew if he was going to go back to Jerusalem, he'd die, so he appealed to go see Caesar. Well, in the previous chapters, he's now been in front of Roman rulers who are going, hey, this is nuts. If this guy had not appealed to Caesar, we wouldn't arrest him. And he wouldn't have to go anywhere and he could be released and be free. But because he appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen, he has to go. So I want you to get in the skin of how this is partially Paul's doing or in large part Paul's doing. But I want you to understand why. The Bible, I love, love, love the Bible. And one of the things I love about the Bible is how earthy it is. And by that, I don't mean like granola, tree hugger people, earthy and flagstaff. I mean earthy, like down to earth, real it is. There's all kinds of religious texts that sound, I'm going to use a big word here, very esoteric, like very spiritual, and it's out there, and you really got to close your eyes to, to make it happen and really make sense of it, and you take yourself to a different place. That is not the Bible. The Bible is all about the dirt of real world. It's always human and divine. Remember that, always. So Paul is very human in saying, I don't want to go to Jerusalem and be killed by the Jews. 
all appeal to my Roman citizenship to get to Caesar. But it's also divine in that Paul had told, I'm sorry, God had told Paul that he would go to Rome and preach the gospel before Roman leadership. So Paul knows that. So behind it all, when it says, and it was determined, who was it determined by? The Romans, Paul? Or let me add a really strong push here. It was determined by God. The Bible's really clear. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, A man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. The book of Ephesians says, God works all things after the counsel of his will. That statement, he works all things after the counsel of his will, brings up all kinds of questions. Like they're about to be on a ship in the middle of an absolute hurricane-like storm. And you're going, God, what are you doing? But so clear through these chapters is that God is leading the way. God is carrying forth his story. Whether you think it's corny or you don't, the statement history is his story. Meaning every time you see the word history, if you're coming from a frame that really believes the Bible, you could underline his or put it in bold. This really is his story. God works and has always worked in the midst of real world human events. Therefore, real world human events always have the capacity, if we rightfully understand them, to give us wisdom. It's called experiential wisdom. And that's what happens to Paul right away. Paul is getting ready to go on a ship. There's this uh, Roman leader named Julius. And in verse 3 it says, The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Here's what I mean by how earthy the Bible is. Paul's been through a ton. He's been through all kinds of trials. He's tired and yet he's convicted in what he's supposed to do. But somehow here Julius knows, likely because of what Paul said, that Paul needs some friend time. And I don't know exactly what he needed from these friends. I don't know if it was a care package with his favorite cookies. I don't know if it was prayer time. But human beings need people. You can't live real life, let alone the Christian life, without people. There may be moments here where Paul's going and saying, in order to be cared for, he gets before him and says, I'm scared to death. Will you pray for me? I don't know what's ahead of me. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing. I don't know if this is all worth it. And yet underneath it, Paul's never lost the conviction that he stated in Acts 24 when he said, I don't count my life as worth anything to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. But in order to do that, he didn't do that as an isolated Lone Ranger, Clark Kent Superman. He did it as a real human being and he needed relationship. And this man was gracious enough to allow him to be cared for by his friends. Then they put out to sea from there and they go through a series of cities. And then verse 6 says, There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. Now we'll see later in the passage that there's 276 people who board this. He says, We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived. Now these are very key words here because in a narrative and in a story, suspense is being built. Right? Not, and this isn't a fiction story. This is nonfiction. It's true. And what, what Luke's trying to tell us in writing this, we sailed slowly for a number of days, arrived there, underlined difficulty. Off Nidius and the wind, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty, 
There's the word again. What's Luke trying to say about this initial journey? What? It was what? Difficult. Okay. Okay, good. We came to a place called Fair Havens near which was the city of Lycia. Now we get going. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, difficult, difficult. This voyage is now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul stands up and advises them. He's advising the captain of the ship. He's advising the owner of the ship. And he's advising the Roman leaders that are on the ship saying, Sirs, I perceive the voyage before us will be with injury and much loss, not only for the cargo and the ship, but also to our very lives. Now, let me tell you what Paul's perceiving. It says it's after. So he says, since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous because even after the fast, the fast was Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the Jewish celebration of the Day of Atonement, which if you didn't know this, it just happened Saturday. So if you know devoted Jews, devotion of any kind, on Saturday, many of the synagogues had to leave their buildings and rent larger facilities because this is the Jewish Christmas or Easter in which many people come to a service. There was a large service a friend, Rabbi Jeremy Schneider, just had that he invited me up to and many people will go to. So this means they were about to take this journey in kind of early October to early November, which is a time that you do not sail on the Mediterranean Sea. So Paul says, sirs, I perceive this is stupid for us to do this. That's what he's saying. Now, how did he perceive this? Had he gotten divine revelation? No. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Paul says, three times I've been shipwrecked. Okay? He's going, been there, done that, bad idea. Right? Three times I've been shipwrecked. He's going, I don't know a lot, and I'm not an expert salesperson, but I've been salesman, not selling things. Sailing is what I'm trying to say. There's probably a better way to say that. But he's going, I'm not an expert at that. I'm not this. Here's what I know. This is dumb. But they have a different view, and it's not totally stupid either. Um, the centurion, the Roman leader, pays more attention to the pilot and to the owner of ship than to what Paul said. Here's what that means. Paul was ignored. Now, let me just ask you this. If you get in their skin. What does it feel like to be ignored? When you put yourself out there, right, he's a prisoner. I mean, there had to be these moments like, do I say this? Do I not say this? And like, they're kind of concerned about their cargo and the ship, and they should be concerned with their lives. So when Paul says this, let's get in the skin of some of the characters here. When he says, if you're an onlooking hearer, and you're not the owner of the ship, you're not the Roman leader, you're not a sailor, and you hear Paul say, hey, listen, if we do this, we're going to lose our cargo. You're going, eh, don't really care about the cargo. We're going to lose the ship. And you go, eh, now I start to care because if we lose the ship, we lose our lives. Now they're going, ah, oh, if this dude's right, will we please listen to him? Right? Well, now all of the experts in the sea go, we're not listening to him. Right? So Paul gets totally marginalized, incredibly ignored. What does that feel like to be marginalized and ignored? I'll let you fill in the gaps. Paul's clearly feeling that. But they blow him off because, verse 12, because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in. They didn't want to winter there. The majority of them decided to put out to sea from there for the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix. So you didn't know this, but this was a lot like here, right? People going, I don't want to winter there. So they're, they're driving got a lot harder because a lot more people showed up because they didn't want to spend the winter where they're from, so they decided to go to Phoenix. Right? That's the aspiration. These are snowbirds. They're going, 
we're going to be we're going to be a snowbird but in the end they wanted to reach phoenix not arizona a harbor of crete that was facing both southwest and northwest so that they could winter there they said it's going to be hard there so we'll keep going so they decide to go now verse 13 and when the south wind blew gently supposing that they had obtained their purpose they weighed anchor sailed along creek close to the shore but soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster now a northeaster in the tempestuous wind means hurricane-like conditions struck down from the land so they blow off paul he says bad move they blow him off they go out there and they're now on the mediterranean in hurricane-like conditions what do you think paul's thinking when these hurricane-like conditions fall upon him Honestly, get, get, get in the skin for a minute, right? Let's push away from Paul for a minute and go back to the, just the other people that are on board. They're not the Roman citizens. They're not the expert sailors. They're going, why didn't we listen to that guy that just a minute ago we thought was an idiot? Like, why did we not listen to that guy? There's terror. There's fear. Right? Like, I was on the only cruise ship I've ever been on in my life. Let me just say that again. Cruise ship. Okay. Not this kind of ship, and certainly not in hurricane-like weather, like just waves. And I'm like about to puke my brains out. So immediately, as this tempestuous wind comes up, people are starting to puke, I promise you. And they're puking on other people. There's 276 of them. So somebody that's not puking gets puked upon, and then they puke, right? So this is all of a sudden a mess, and Paul's going, you blew me off? This is what's amazing, is that you are about to see what ancient historians said, and all the commentators would say is the longest account of any shipwreck in ancient literature. And it's incredibly detailed. This is something, again, that I love about the Bible, is there's no way these details that come out in 27 and 28 just come out unless it really happened. I mean, it is so detailed in the midst of what is happening in the shipwreck. But here's something you got to know. You have people on this boat who are faultless, one of them being Paul for being in the storm, and you have other people that are in the midst of the storm and in immediate danger because of their stupid decisions. Now push pause and just say, is that not true with life as well? Sometimes we're in the midst of dangerous suffering situations of nothing at all that we did. And at other times, it's because of the stupid decisions we made. Now, this passage is bringing out the real practicality to say, when you have the ability to make a good decision, make a good decision. Common sense is common sense because experienced people have gotten dirt under their fingernails and said, listen, don't spend more than you make. If you're in Denver and they say, don't drive right now because there's ice on the road, don't go, ah, I've done it a bunch of times before. Don't drive. Right? There are these things that are just common sense. Don't eat that many carbs or you'll get fat. Right? There are these things that you go, hey, people have done it and this is the way it's resulted. There's a huge theme of practical wisdom coming out in this passage that in the end put people in danger and yet in the midst of good, in, an appeal for a good decision, a bad decision being made, God's underneath it all. You hear that? No matter what happens, we sang the song, 
I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. God holds the whole world in his hands. You just sang it. We're not singing lyrics that aren't true. That's true. So now we're in the midst of this incredible despair of a moment. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, verse 15, we gave way to it and we were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty, there's the word again, to secure the ship's boat. Here's what that's saying, secure the ship's boat. There was a lifeboat on the other side of the ship that was beginning to fall off and they're going, we may need that at some time and they grab it. And then they begin to put ropes. You're gonna see, see this in a minute. They literally begin to put ropes under the boat because as the winds were blowing and the waves were crashing up, the ship was cracking and they're literally going, oh, we need to like duct tape the boat together, right? So imagine this, you're sitting there, you don't know anything about it and they're like, what are the ropes going over there for as people are puking all over the place and chaos is happening? Oh, we're trying to hold the boat together. No, don't miss this. Like the terror on this boat is massive, absolutely massive. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground at Syrtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, don't miss the difficulty, don't miss the danger, don't miss the violence. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. Why did they jettison the cargo? Well, here's the idea is that there's sandbanks underneath that they are fearing if the boat is too heavy and goes low in the midst of this, it hits a land bank, the ship's destroyed, they're already trying to hold it together, they're done. So they're throwing stuff off the boat, cargo off the boat. They're like, we don't care about the cargo, which by the way, remember Paul told them this would happen. So they're throwing cargo overboard, trying to lighten the ship so that it could graze across the top of the land banks or the sandbanks as well. So they're throwing car- cargo, we're jettisoning cargo, verse 19. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now what happens when you grab tackle and throw it over with your own hands. There's not just puke now, there's what? Blood. Blood. Okay, this isn't just laughing. This is like a real moment that if you're on it and you went, people are hearing about this story later and they're laughing, you wanna punch them in the face. This is not, no laughing matter. Puke, blood, all over the place as they're throwing this stuff off. It gets so bad when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. Now, just before this, it had said after three days. Now it says many days. It says after many days, sun or stars don't appear. Why? It's a storm, right? There's clouds everywhere. So they can't see anything. No small tempest lay on us. That's a very understated way to say this is a horrific storm. So at this point, all hope, all hope, of our being saved was at last abandoned. Suffering has an uncanny way to make everything dark in front of you, to where you can see absolutely nothing and you lose hope. Folks, when we lose hope, it's utter despair. Doctors call this depression. And suffering has a way to press itself on you that you literally see zero light at the end of the tunnel. All hope was lost. All hope of our being saved was abandoned. We're all gonna die. Now, this is everybody, which means this is Paul as well. Paul said, if we go there, we're gonna lose cargo, we're gonna lose the ship, and we're gonna lose our lives. At this point, it's coming 
to reality that you don't have to be an expert to know we're all going to die. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, now, they're throwing up like crazy. They haven't eaten. You know what it's like when you've puked a lot and you're super lethargic. And then when you don't eat, it's just like you can hardly lift your head, right? So they're just getting, a bit, and Paul sees this. He sees at this moment that they've been throwing up. They're bleeding. Many of them are bleeding. And they're without hope. And he stands up and says, men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> I mean, that's like, Wow the gall at that. I read a commentator who had this great line where he said, Paul did not put tact in the fruits of the spirit, <laughs> which is fantastic. Like this doesn't feel like a lot of tact, but here's something Paul knows. And I think this takes a lot of courage. I don't think Paul was being sinful there. I think he's looking at this situation going, leaders are accountable and they need to know they made a mistake. So he says, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. But here's what I love about Paul. He calls a spade a spade, but then he doesn't rub their nose in it. Look at the next thing he says. Yet now I urge you to take heart. It's another way to say have hope. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship will be lost. How does he know that? Look at what it says. Now stop before I read this. Don't make Paul into Clark Kent Superman. Don't. He's a human being. Here's how he knows this. For this very night, meaning the night before when everybody thought we're all going to die, that night an angel of God appeared to me. He had a dream. He had a vision. An angel of God appears to me to whom I belong and whom I worship. He's not saying I belong to the angel of God. Angels in the Bible are serving spirits, the book of Hebrews says. They're ministering spirits. God sends an angel to give a word, a word of God to Paul. He says, the God spoke to me, the God, the one true God, the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, who everybody that ever believes belongs to and worships. He is a friend of mine, the song we sang. The God of angel armies, he's a friend of mine. The God who upholds the universe by the word of his power. The God who works all things after the counsel of his will. The one whom, if you believe, you belong to and you worship. He spoke to me, and here's what he said. Don't be afraid. Now, why did God tell Paul not to be afraid? Because he was scared to death. Don't read this and be like, look at Paul. He was freaking out along with everybody else, and I guarantee he's wrestling with his flesh that he wanted to punch these guys in the face going, you morons, I told you not to do this. Now we're all going to die, and maybe he did say that. Right? But at this point, he says, have hope. God says to him, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. What I said you will do, you will do. You will get to Italy. And behold, God has granted you all of those who sail with you. Not one life will be lost. So Paul comes out and then he says this. So take heart, men. Again, have hope. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Folks, this is the fundamental difference between a true Christian and someone who isn't. A true Christian takes God at his word. One of my favorite definitions of a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is one who listens and one who obeys. Trust and obey. 
trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, I don't know what that vision was like, but I'm telling you, that word alone, if it were just written on a page, would be deeply challenging to believe in the midst of a hurricane and you're on a ship. But somehow the word of God was powerful enough and it penetrated Paul. And I would say Paul had meant had developed the soil of his life. He tilled it enough that when God spoke, he believed it. And he called everybody else, believer and not a believer, for I have faith in God, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. You believe it too. The word of God has unbelievable, unbelievable power. 276 of them, verse 39, there's a shipwreck. Now, when it was day, they didn't recognize the land, but they noticed a bay at the beach, um, a bay with a beach on which they had planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors, left them in the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders together. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but striking a reef, they ran against the vessel. The bow struck and remained unmovable. The stern was being broken up by the surf. Now the soldiers, because this is a shame, honor culture, go, if the prisoners get away and the Romans look at us and go, your job was to protect the prisoners and they escaped. So they go, we're not going to let them escape, kill them. And then we'll go and we can tell them what happened. We'll tell them we killed the prisoners. But the centurion steps up. This is unbelievable. But the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan to kill the prisoners. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. The other ones get on wood and go. So all these people were saved because Paul listened to the word of God. Because Paul was constantly bringing forth the truth. Paul went from the ignored to ultimately becoming the captain of the ship all the way through the shipwreck. Now, we come to them landing. They land on this island called Malta, and we get to do all of chapter 28 in five minutes. <laughs> Think I'm going to accomplish that? No chance. So this is going to be your opportunity to go home and study the Bible. But let me say this and get into this story a little bit. Imagine when they get off the ship and it says the island, they learned that the island was called Malta. The native people, it says they show them unusual kindness. Imagine when the native people start coming out, right? There has to be this moment like, who are these native people? And are they going to kill us? Are they going to eat us? What are they doing? And they show unbelievable kindness. They look at these people. They're like, they've been torn up by the weather. They begin to show them, it says, unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. So it begins to rain, it was cold. Now imagine this. You got to think there's a temptation in a human being for Paul to walk out and go, give credit where credit's due. I said the whole time we shouldn't go. And then in the end, we, we, we skipped over this part. There was a point where the sailors were going to save themselves. I told him if they do that, we wouldn't be able to guide the ship to sea. So he led the captain. Give the new captain his due. Starts to rain and get cold. And what does Paul do? He doesn't say, give me my due. He goes to gather up wood because he doesn't want it to get too damp and wet, if you're an experienced camper, before they light the fire. So he starts gathering wood. How does this happen? How does Paul not lose his mind? How does Paul continue to serve? Paul be the one to give hope, Paul to call forth courage, and then to land and be the one serving, picking up sticks to start a fire. 
Here's why. Paul has mapped his life. Not by the way that the world would say map your life. Get yours. Get the attention. Be proved right. Get your due. Shove it in their face. He's mapped his life around Jesus, who said the greatest among you will be one who serves. He mapped his life around Jesus, who said, I'll lay down my life so that others may live. And he begins to gather this whole thing together and now light the fire right? Because he's mapping it around Jesus, I'm going to serve. And he lights this fire. And as he's lighting this fire, there just happens to be a viper underneath the sticks. Folks, a viper for God's sake. Like, how is this not true? Like this, tell me this, this old adage, when it rains, it pours. I mean, when this viper lashes out right on Paul as he's trying to light a fire and serve people, he's got to be going, are you kidding me? Like all of that, and now there's a viper on my arm for God's sake? Like, do you love me, God, or do you not love me? So he does what any human being should do, and he tries to throw the viper off right into the fire, and he gets it off. And now all the people of Malta who are pagans, they're polytheistic, go, oh, this man must be a murderer. He escaped the sea goddess from killing him, but the God of justice got him. He must be a murderer. And then they wait, nothing happens. They wait, nothing happens. They wait, nothing happens. So then they go, oh, he must be a god. <laughs> this is what paganism, and just by the way, we don't have a chance to do a worldview study. Our culture is moving this direction huge, and it will absolutely try to turn everything into boxes. You're either this or you're that, and make a human being it their identity. You're either a murderer, now you're a god. And Paul's going, listen, I'm not going to live into victimhood of you're falsely accusing me or a hero or divinity. I'm not going to let you divinize me and make me a god. So he just begins to serve. He sees a leader who's sick. He prays for him, prays for the power of God. They get healed. People are now going, this guy's healing people. They bring more people, and he heals them. Why? Paul ultimately ends up getting to Rome, but the whole book of Acts ends in verse 30 saying this. He lived there two years at his own expense in Italy, in Rome, at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him. And what did he do? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He was on Malta. He preached the gospel. What does it mean to preach the gospel? You see it in 27 28. You lay your life down to love your neighbor as yourself and you declare Jesus. You proclaim the kingdom in what you do with your life and you declare Jesus. Whether it's Malta or whether he gathers Jews together in Rome, which is what happens here, and he gets them all there and he says, let me tell you something. The Messiah you're waiting for is Jesus. And the reason you haven't received him is the very words of Isaiah. You refuse to hear. You stopped your ears. You closed your eyes. God has made you unable, but now he's taken the message to those you despise. And he's taken it to the Gentiles. And it says at that point in Rome, all the Jews leave and are like angry. You're telling me we don't hear, but they got it? That's what the gospel does. It continues to go, oh, you think it's not for them? It's for them. Oh, you think it's not for them? It's for them. And when you have a problem in it, it is pointing right back at you. That's why you need it. In the midst of your darkness and despair or in the midst of thinking you see the light when in fact you don't, it's saying in every circumstance, there's one who saves. 
There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved but at the name of Jesus. And church, let me end with this. What's so amazing about this story is there's an ancient image that the church held about the church. When the church went, who are we? They had an image and they said the church is a boat. And it was supposed to conjure up this imagination of Noah that all who got on the boat were what? Saved. And they said the church is the carrier of the gospel, which Paul knew implicitly. I count my life as worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord of Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. The church, the people of God are made into this boat who's saying to the world, come join us. Come see the one we believe in and whom we worship. Come see the one who saved us from sin and who's the only savior of sin for the world. We are the ship, folks. Don't sit and read Paul and go, well, I'm never going to be a professional missionary. And Tyler, I'm never going to be a professional pastor. If you carry in yourselves the spirit of God through the gospel, we together are called to say to the world in the midst of their despair and in the midst of our despair, in the midst of their sin and in the midst of our sin, there is no other name under heaven by which people we must be saved, but at the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. Um, we thank you for how you reveal to us in such human form, in such failure, in such fear, and yet because of your word, courage, that you tell us be strong and courageous because you are with us wherever we go. Father, give us that courage to be your people, to love you with everything we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Christ's name we pray, amen.